want to invite you this morning, we're going to be looking at a text in Scripture. We're actually in the book of Luke, and the nice thing is, is if you got your, your newspaper coming in, the good news, it's the text that's right on the front there, or you can follow along in your Bible as well. We're actually going to be in Luke 24, and I've titled this talk, A Walk to Remember. Sorry, Mandy Moore, but uh, walking through that, we're going to work through this amazing interaction. I don't know if there's anybody here that enjoys a good hike. Any hikers here that enjoy getting outside? Quite a few, actually. My wife and I really enjoy that. Well, I personally really enjoy it, especially going around coming from Illinois four years ago where there's really literally nothing but cornfield to coming here. Here's a picture we took at the top of Strawberry Hill. Uh, this was during the drought. I think our little townhome somewhere down there. And, uh, and then, then this is post-rain. Uh, Pat Garrett from our church took that picture recently. Pretty awesome to see. Pretty awe-inspiring, if you will. Just encountering God through creation. But what I've come to realize in uh, going on different hikes is that a hike is only as good as the person you're hiking with. Anybody attest to that? I get, if I go by myself, it's kind of like, man, I don't, I don't really like my own company. I, I get kind of <laughs> bored. I, I, uh, I'm forced to think. I try to avoid that. No, no I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but what I, I've come to realize, what, when I add into the mix my wife and kids, all of a sudden that changes the whole dynamic of the hike from being ordinary to extraordinary. You never know with three kids what you're going to experience from building rock towers in that picture to chasing crocodile lizards or, or alligator lizards. Have you seen those things? My, or my wife yelling at me when I'm trying to catch a rattlesnake by the tail. Or, or, or uh, uh, you, you know, one of the things we do like to do, you can try this at your leisure, we like to stand on the top of a, a high point and each one take turns seeing who can yell their full name the loudest. In fact, we're going to try that right now as a church. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, but there's so many adventures that come based on who's with you, who's along for the ride. Well, in our story this morning, we have two random guys we don't know much about from Scripture that are walking along, and Jesus, the risen Christ, the same day that he rose, joins them on their hike, a walk to remember, I would imagine. We're going to explore that story. Let me pray before we do. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to engage in your word and even celebrate you this morning as best as we can. It's such an awesome, awesome truth that you came down, lived the perfect life, died on a miserable cross in our, as our substitute, and then rose again on the third day. We're so grateful for that. We ask that you'd speak to us through this text this morning, that it wouldn't be for the person down the road, that you'd speak to us uh, directly. Pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So looking at this story, and uh, you, you wonder, and I encourage you to engage in this uh, thinking through what it would be like to be in this conversation, walking along, and uh, what would you say, how would you act, what questions would you ask, Look at how it starts in verse 13 of Luke 24. It says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Stop there and give you a little bit of backdrop. The first thing is you notice it says, That very day, we had just heard the in the previous verses the account of Jesus, the tomb being empty, the 
you remember that, the story of the women coming there, finding the tomb empty, the angels then redirecting them to go tell the good news. So they were there, it was that very same day, says the two of them, you might wonder who that, that would be referring to. You can tell actually by glancing back to verse 9, it says, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So most likely these two guys fell in the category of all the rest. But you see also in verse 11 that they had heard about the resurrection, but they weren't quite buying it. Verse 11 says, but those words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So these men are two of the disciples that didn't buy into the resurrection story at first. They didn't buy into the resurrection story at first, these two men. And they're there, and it's fascinating because you see right away that they're walking away from the city. This is, the, this is Sunday evening. The Passover has been going on. And as an unbelieving follower, where else do you have other than heading home? So they're going home even after hearing the words from all of these women testifying that they, had, that they had encountered this angel, but they're not buying it, so they're just heading home. So two guys walking home with their heads down in unbelief, and Jesus chooses to pursue them and encounter them there. That's what I love about Jesus Christ is even in our unbelief, he doesn't leave us there. He pursues us. Take a look at this interaction. Verse 15 says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? Quite an interaction there with Jesus as a first encounter. So you see, he interrupts their conversation. And isn't that still how God operates? We can be going along, doing our own thing, going down our own path, and he chooses to inter interrupt us right where we're at. That interruption looks a lot of different ways. It might be that annoying person or friend that keeps inviting you to church. It might be that, that, that encounter with creation that you're like, whoa, I can't make sense out of this other than God's involved. These circumstances that you piece together, there, there's got to be a God element to this. All the different ways that God pursues us and looks to engage or interrupt with us is mind-blowing. But notice that even in this encounter, even though they're walking away in disbelief, he doesn't go into condemnation. He starts to instead ask questions to figure out where they're at. We see from the text that it says their eyes were kept from recognizing him, so likely God kept them from recognizing him while he's still writing scripture. We don't know for sure. But the problem wasn't an issue of Jesus' presence. It was an issue of their awareness of his presence. You see that? Isn't that still true today? It's not an issue of whether or not Christ is there and working and all around us. It's whether or not we have eyes to see it. 
We can miss things that are right in front of us. If we're going to confess here in this church, how many of us would say you're kind of prone to missing things that are right in front of your eyes? Anybody here like that? You can, you can have something that's like clearly there. In, in our family, we kind of have two ends of the spectrum. My son who misses lots of stuff and my daughter, Sienna, that finds everything. My, my son, I can send him, I'm going to pick on him for a second, can send him to his room and say, hey, Chase, can you pick, go get that off your, your dresser or something in the kitchen? He'll go down, come back, Dad, I d- didn't see it. Anybody else have this kid? <laughs> and you're like, Chase, I'm confident it's there. Go look again. He'll go look again, and he'll come back. Dad, didn't see it. Sorry, it's not there. I'm like, son... If I go down there and I find, anybody have this happen in your own household? Am I the only one? Or, or maybe it's not a kid, maybe it's a spouse. And so uh, you're, you're, you're dealing with this. And, and I say, if I go down there, you're in big trouble if I find it right away. I go and the item that we're looking for, it's like a light is shining on it. It's in the most obvious place. You're like, what in the world? How could you possibly miss it. It's fun to talk about him when he can't defend himself. But here's, a, here's my other end of the spectrum, my daughter Sienna. You can send her anywhere to find the smallest item, any place, the needle in the haystack. She's there coming back. She's like, got it. I got it. I, I, I found it in like three minutes flat. Like it's so crazy how some people are great at seeing things right in front of them, even finding things that are hidden. Others completely miss it. And isn't that the truth spiritually as well? I wonder if their ability to see these two men was influenced by the condition of their hearts. Had they dug in their heels in unbelief and look where that left them. What does the text say? Looking sad, it says in the text. But they were looking sad. And isn't that really a portrait of what life independent of Christ is? Kind of looking sad. Sad, the original word for that is skithropus. Say that to your neighbor right now, skithropus. It means gloomy, solemn, depressed, or melancholy. Kind of like most of us before coffee in the morning, right? That's the, that's, that's the picture that he has here. And to be honest, that is the picture of life absent of Christ. Because really, where is your hope? What is your, your hope for the future? What's your hope for the present? Absent of Christ, it's not there. I love, though, how God chooses to engage with him or how Jesus chooses to. He says, ask him some questions that he obviously knows the answer to. What is this conversation. What has been going on in Jerusalem? Do you think Jesus probably had a pretty good sense of what was going on in Jerusalem? Do you think he probably had an idea of what their conversation was about? Was this going to be new information to Almighty God in the flesh? I like it because the more you read about Scripture, the more you get to know the person of Jesus Christ, and the more you get to know him, you realize he kind of likes to mess with people, right? Anybody else have the spiritual gift of messing with people in the room? Like that's, a, that, that's something, okay, so it's not on the spiritual gift list. Uh, but, 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 but if you look at the life of Christ, he likes to ask some questions that he knows the answer to just to move the people to think. 
Some people, like friends of mine, are more in the just mess with people just for the heck of messing with. That I'd share this story. My, my uh, best friend, uh, Joe, who's a pastor up in Fresno, he has the spiritual gift of messing with people. My sister, he's, we, he's been a family friend. My sister is a, a, is a chaplain at a hospital in Denver. And she takes like some of the most intense phone calls, lots of heavy counseling, uh, lots of life and death situations. So he takes advantage of that. He calls her up with a panicked voice, tear-filled uh, sound to it, and starts explaining. Does anybody remember these, uh, these commercials in the 90s? The Empire Carpet, do you remember that? 58823, right, right? You remember those, or is that an Illinois thing? Well, they play these like every five minutes in uh, Illinois. But uh, that, that's right, so uh, he's in this panicked voice, Kathleen, can you, can you, at your convenience, can you just call me back at... 1-800-588-2300. And did my sister fall for it? Absolutely. She's calling. She's getting Empire Carpet on the other end of the line. I think you have an employee there that's pretty distraught. And they're like, no, I don't think we do. And, and so, so she, she bought it, hook, line, and sinker. And really, that's the same thing that these guys do with Jesus prodding. That It says to them, He says, um, what was his response? He says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? In other words, they bought it. He's asking questions, but he wasn't doing it just to mess with them. He's trying to move them to identify the source of their sorrow. Let me read this next section and see if you can identify it. It says, And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, that's their conversation, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Interesting point there that they made even after... They had heard the testimony. What does it point to was the crux of most likely their sorrow. Do you see it there in verse 21? We had hoped that he was the one to what? Redeem Israel. They were hoping for physical rescue. This was Passover weekend in the city there. And what do they celebrate at Passover? They remember how they were rescued from Egypt. Under the cruel Egyptian rule, now they're currently under Roman rule, and they're hoping, man, please let this be the Messiah that can rescue us and meet our physical needs because life stinks under Roman rule. So they were putting all their hopes. They had expectations of what he would do, not knowing that he was coming to address their greater need, which was a spiritual need. They, they, they had all their, their, their plans laid out, and isn't that many of us live? We've got all of our, our plans laid out, all the things that we expected, all the ways that life was supposed to play, play out, and it just hasn't. 
And so often, that's the hurdle that Jesus can't get past in somebody's life. They, they, they've dug in their heels. They've said, you know what? I'm ticked at God because he hasn't allowed this to happen. He hasn't allowed this to happen. And so I don't believe even if people are coming with testimonies all around us. Maybe that's your story this morning. You've been exposed to church. You've heard the testimony, but you're like, you know what? I'm just not buying it because I'm ticked at God. I don't like what he's done. I, I, I have some unmet expectations physically. I have some unmet expectations relationally, financially. You fill in the blank. It can be a major obstacle. But I, what I love is even in their point of unbelief, when they point out the thing that Jesus didn't meet, Jesus doesn't abandon them, then he keeps on pursuing them. He helps them connect the dots in verse 25. It says, and he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. Quite a description. All that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Pretty neat interaction there. He starts with a pretty strong word. If you imagine if you're on a hike with a new friend and he starts referring to you as you foolish person, you foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, that might be kind of a a hard truth to swallow. But what you recognize the more you get to know Jesus is that he elevates somebody's spiritual condition over potential offense. He confronts them. He assaults their unbelief. I uh, have an illustration, and this is going to be a real loose connection, and partially just because I wanted to have fun with it. I wanted to introduce you guys to something. This is called the Bug Assault 2.0. This is probably one of my favorite possessions right here. Let me tell you about it. So, so this is... You add in the top here, it's assault, so it ties into the sermon. Do you see that? Catch that? Assault? Okay. So, uh, loose connection. It, uh, it, you put salt, table salt, in the top, and uh, then you pump that, and it's for killing any insects that you don't like. This is wonderful. Flies, all of a sudden, you're excited to see them in your home. And it shoots a burst of salt. You guys want to see it? Go for a second. Okay, so get the safety off. There we go. And... That's it. That's it. Just an explosion of salt. And what that does to a fly or one of those really big, weird-looking mosquitoes is really (laughs) wonderful. It's wonderful. And and so so what did I do when I first got this? What's the natural thing that you want to do? You want to know, well, how hard does it shoot? Would it? And then the next line of thinking, would it hurt to get shot by it? Let's be real here, guys. Like, that's, that's what you're wondering. Any testers here? No. Uh, we're not going to do that. But what I did is I had a, I don't even remember who it was. I was like, well, I'm just going to hold out my hand. Just tell me, if, uh, just to see if it hurts. Well, guess what? It hurts a lot, right? It, it, like, I had the hamburger helper hand. Like, it was all swollen and so I was like, what in the world? This little fly gun, I need to send it back. But here's the thing. In the connection, loose as it may be, sometimes it takes that kind of a burst, that kind of a a kick, if you will, spiritually, and Jesus doesn't mind doing it, even if it stings a little bit. 
He doesn't mind calling people out in their foolishness. He doesn't mind calling them out in their unbelief because it's a bigger deal that we recognize our spiritual condition. And what does he define that? That is, he says, slow of heart to believe. Slow of heart to believe. Slow of heart to believe is the condition that so much of mankind is at. They've been exposed to truth all around them and they're surrounded by it, but they've dug in their heel. Maybe it's for unmet expectations. We don't know. But instead of getting ticked at them, he gives them a little nudge and then starts connecting the dots, starts explaining things. You see, following Christ, you're never expected to believe blindly. You can gather as much evidence as you want, and eventually you'll be encouraged to make a decision. You see here he starts piecing together the the dots to them. He explains that in verse 26, it was necessary for Christ to suffer. In other words, that's the reason we're here this morning, that it was necessary that someone took our payment, absorbed it on the cross. That's necessary for us to have forgiveness of sin, for us to be restored in relationship with a perfect God. Someone had to pay the penalty. He helped them connect the dots. I love that it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So basically all of scripture, just walking them through. Remember, who knows, anybody would like to listen in on this conversation? Anybody have like a favorite podcast you listen to? This would have probably exceeded that. Like this, this, uh, uh, th- this would have been a fascinating conversation just explaining Abraham. Remember when God promised to, to Abraham that he was going to make a great nation and that the entire world would be blessed through that? And Jesus is like, that's me. I'm the one that's going to bless all the nations. I'm the, the, the fulfillment of that promise. As he talks through the story of Exodus and Moses, he helps make sense out of it. That was just forecasting the need for a sacrifice in order to be rescued. He explains to them, you can't just probably walking story by story one after another. Remember the Levitical law and how hard that was to follow? That was to show you that you couldn't do it on your own starts connecting the dots for them, piecing it all together perfectly so that they can make some sense out of it. And then here's the awesome thing. He, doesn't, he, he presents truth, but then pushes them to make a decision what they're going to do with it. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And look what it says here. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. Again, you catch that little glimpse of that, that messing around with them a little bit, checking to see where they're at, seeing, seeing if they, they had actually, uh, after this encounter, how they would respond to it. They gave a little taste. Would, he want, would they want more, or would they choose to let him to keep going their own way. Isn't that the same way he operates with mankind still today? He has different things, different attempts at pursuing us, at getting our attention, at wooing us. His kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. He's pursuing us, but then there's that crossroads of belief that every single person on this planet is left with. How will we respond? Will we invite him in to dine with us? Or let him keep going on his way. Isn't that the gospel message? 
Isn't that it? That we're inviting? How will we respond to the, the fact that he made himself irresistible? Look at how they respond. It says that they urged him strongly to come in. They urged him strongly. They had tasted enough to know, man, we want more of the truth that you're sharing. We want more of that. And that's the hope that even we have as a, as a church as we unpack Scripture each week that you get taste of that and you're like, man, I want more. I want to know God more. I want to know Him more intimately, more deeply. Look how they responded once He was invited in. So He went in to stay with them. Verse 30, when He was at table with them, He took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized Him. And he vanished from their sight. Crazy pants. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Love that, that experience there. They're, they're, they're inviting him in. The first observation that I made, when they invited him in, do you notice who's doing the serving? Do you notice that? Like, if you invite somebody in, do you have them break the bread and serve everybody? Jesus comes right in. He sets up shop. He starts serving them because he came to serve, not to be served. He shows up there and starts serving them. And then something in the breaking of the bread. Maybe they had heard stories about the Last Supper. We don't know for sure. Maybe there's something or just God chose to remove the blinders. Either way, was it the breaking of the bread and the explanation that this bread represents my body, which was broken to you? We don't know what was said, but the wonderful thing was the blinders came off and they saw Jesus for who he was. They saw him for an all of his glory. And then God, just to put an exclamation point on it, he says, oh, I'm just going to disappear after that. I'm just going to bail out, just going just gonna to let them deal with it. And I love how, how they reflected on it. And it says, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while talk to us on the road? In other words, so many of us, so many of us still today have had those burning heart moments for so long that we keep pushing them on and going back to our normal routine. Well, my hope and what we've been praying for even this week is that we provide a couple minutes at the end of the service for us to decide how we're going to respond to the gospel message. Respond how, how, how we're going to respond to the truth that's taught to us in Scripture. We as a church have been memorizing Scripture this whole year. I'd say we're still working our way into it. One of the, uh, the passages that's actually scheduled for this morning uh, wasn't by accident. You might be familiar with it. It says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's try that as a church, those of us that know that. If you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and belief in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You will That's pretty awesome, powerful truth there. That's the scripture that points to the rescue plan that's in place. It's through simple faith. It's through calling out and saying, you know what? I'm done being a person of unbelief. I'm going to put my stake in the ground and I'm going to claim him as Lord. Claim him as Lord. What we saw early in the section of Scripture, they said he's a man, he's a prophet, he did all these amazing things. All of a sudden, their perspective is about to change. My ask for you this morning is simply this. 
is what will you do with the gospel message? How will you respond? I just want to provide just a couple moments of silence while Chad plays here just for people to just reflect on this decision. And this could even potentially this morning be the day that you choose to say, I'm in. We're going to exercise that in this moment of silence if you, if you want to make that cho- choice by simply saying those words that are suggested in Romans 10.9, Jesus is Lord. That will represent your pronouncement that you're choosing to make him Lord of your life, that you're embracing him and all that he's done for us on the cross. I'm going to be quiet for a few moments. If that's a decision you want to make, just boldly say that right now in your seats. Jesus is Lord if you've never done that at some point in your life. Jesus is Lord. We'll be quiet and you can choose to say that if you will. They had heard truth, they had had it explained, and they came to this crossroads. Would they invite him in to dine with them? When they did, it was an amazing experience. And here we are this morning, a couple thousand years later, with that same invite on the table. I want to give a couple more moments of silence. If you want to choose to invite him in, to embrace him and all that he's done for you, just those three simple yet life-altering words, Jesus is Lord. You can proclaim that in these moments of silence if that's a decision you want to make. Pretty powerful to see the shift from Hearts burning with sorrow to hearts burning with passion. Listen how the story ends, verse 33. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. It says, And they rose that same hour in response to this fact that it was the risen Lord, they couldn't help but talking about it. We already learned that Emmaus was about a seven-mile hike, so at nightfall, they're walking in the dark back to Jerusalem because all of a sudden, once you've encountered the risen Lord, obstacles get really small. Obstacles get really small because you feel compelled to communicate that to as many people as possible. That's my hope for us going out here this morning is those of us that have embraced him as Lord. That's our commission. That's our call is to go tell others about it because it can redirect somebody's eternity. For those of you that are maybe here this morning have met, never bent a knee and made that decision. And you're, you're like, oh, good. He's finally past that point. It's always an invitation. It's always on the table. 
if we can ever serve you guys and help and connect the dots, any ways we can help come alongside, even on Sunday mornings, our commitment is to try to wrestle through the truth of God's word. We'd love to have you back for more of that. Jesus, we do lift your name this morning. We do celebrate the fact that you robbed the grave, that you only borrowed it just for a couple days. We're so grateful for that. We pray that we'd live in that victory even going into this week ahead. We praise you in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Pray you have a wonderful Sunday. Since you're the last service, you all get to take home a lily with you today. So take a lily on your way out, please. God bless you. And eat 35 donuts. It's good for you.